what we harvest will be grown on a farm, not from the wild, not necessarily affecting, we're not taking large chunks of um, seaweed or kelp from wild sources. So I think that's really cool because um, we can tap into this resource that grows naturally here, mm-hmm. was already growing here, but we're not affecting the natural kelp beds around. We're not taking away from those permanent areas. So I think that's really cool. Um, I think that we'll learn more about our, um, learn more about wild kelp beds, I think, through this farming process. That was Chloe Ivanoff, and she's new to the kelp farming industry in Kodiak. She says that because it's such a new industry in the United States, there's always something to learn or something to innovate. The process of kelp farming, for instance, is still being tweaked. Kelp spores are gathered locally and brought to a lab where they're grown. When they're ready for a larger grow environment, the kelp is set in the ocean along a group of grow lines. However, once they're in the water, they're at the mercy of the elements. Unlike agricultural farming, kelp is grown in its natural environment, without constant surveillance. After it's harvested and processed, the kelp, or seaweed, is generally used in food products like seasonings, sauces, or even made into noodles. Above all, Chloe wants to be a lifelong learner. With kelp farming, that means being adaptable. So if a storm hits, or her grow lines become tangled, she needs to go to work, regardless of time or weather. She looks to other local farms for understanding and inspiration, for what works and what doesn't. So here she is, Chloe Ivanoff. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska's identity through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. So, Chloe, you grew up in a fishing family in Kodiak, right? Yes. Yes, I did. Can you tell me about your upbringing around the ocean? Yeah. Um, so, my dad um, my dad moved here from, like, the East Coast, and his, uh, his brothers, I think, were up here first. And um, my mom and him met, and they met while working in the cannery, um, and then they, you know, raised a family kind of surrounded by, by the fishing community. But they only worked in the cannery for a little while, and then they, um, um, my dad just started working on boats and running boats, and um, we've just grown up um, with that a big part of our lifestyle. And obviously, we're an island surrounded by water, so it's hard to not have some connection to the fishing community or um, whether you are actively on a fishing boat or you're some family members fish or mm-hmm. um, like maybe your family um, works in the maintenance of like uh, the gear or the vessels themselves. Like, you know, my friend, one of my best friends, her family has a net mending business and then, you know, other people are um, working in fabrication for boats and, um, or your family works, you know, at, at the canneries or for fishing game. It's just like everybody is, is um, connect, like very connected to it somehow. Or they're in the Coast Guard, which helps, you know, they're, when we need help out on the water, they're there to, to help us. So everybody's very connected um, via the ocean and the fishing industry. Yeah, it's like that game um, Seven Degrees of Separation with, with Kevin Bacon, but everybody is like one degree or even zero degrees. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's really cool how, I mean, once you start thinking about it, like we all, not anybody could do it alone. We all kind of need each other in some way. It's not like the fishing fleet alone could um, go out and do it themselves. You need the processors, you need the man, um, the fisheries man- management, um, you need the people uh, at the grocery stores, like making sure it's well stocked because like during fishing season, like people come through with huge grocery orders. And um, so they're, they're also really good at um, keeping that supply chain or, or the, it well stocked so we can have all the stuff we need out on the water, which makes, you know, 
makes it a lot nicer out there when you have some good food. Yeah, absolutely. And and I wonder if this is something that is is uh for you at least, was it commonly known that you know, this this infrastructure, this economy is a well-oiled system and everybody needs everybody else in order to you know, continue their way of life? Or is this something that as you got older, you recognized more? I think as I got older, I recognized it more. Like, um, yeah, you don't really think so much of how everything is connected. I feel like when I, or I didn't when I was younger, how we're all kind of needing each other. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely more aware of it now, especially like I got to do a little work with fishing games. So I got to see kind of that side of it and then also as well as working on a fishing vessel um yeah it just definitely more aware of it as i got older and i read that seaweed farming is the fastest growing aquaculture sector did that factor into your decision to get into it so it's kind of um it's a new industry in a newer industry in alaska i would say um but there are more, more and more people applying for leases, farm leases. But um, so there's, I think there were two groups here doing it initially, like that kind of jump, got into it right when the opportunity was there, I guess. Um, and it sounded really cool, but I didn't really know much about it. But uh, last spring, I think, or early in the year, I'm not, I can't remember the exact date, but the Alaska Sea Grant put on this really awesome class about um, uh, seaweed farming and just the whole process. And then you got to, you know, connect with other people who were interested. And then also they gave you some resources of people who could help you go through the whole um, application process. And, um, and then after that, we're like, we're all in. We just applied and we're still... Um, well, we did, and we learned that it's a very, it's a, they're foreseeing it at like a big growing industry and there's a lot of positive things about it. And, um, and it's look, seemed really fun, like farming on the water. Um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely, am into growing things and, um, oh, I also, I guess the other thing is last fall, I got to go help seed, um, a kelp farm, a local kelp farm. So this is before I took the class and I thought it was pretty, um, pretty neat um to see it all well i didn't see the entire process it's only one part of the process but it's pretty integral um so i got to check that out and thought it was pretty fun and then and then taking the class and um yeah my family and i were like oh this is let's go for it so and what was your experience seeding that local kelp farm for the first time well it was really cold but it um it was really interesting. I never really thought about how kelp farming works and I still have so much to learn, but, um, so they, there's this seed string that the essentially baby kelp is grown on in the lab. And then they, um, they have this whole setup of lines, grow lines that are anchored down. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we go out and the seed string is, um, wound on like a PVC pipe. And we go and attach it to one part of the grow line and unwind it along the pipe. But you have to, like, be fairly gentle with it because you don't want to scrape off the little baby baby kelp and um, or sporophytes, I think is what they call it. Um, and then also it has to be, uh, if it's too cold, that can, like, kill the um, little kelp. And um, if it's crappy weather, you the tension could not be right and it just might not unwind correctly and also it's just like um anytime there's a little bit of wind or ch- chop on the water it can make a lot things more difficult mm-hmm. so you want like prime conditions or pretty nice conditions for that that aren't too cold that aren't too um choppy and then also i guess there's a certain time of year that's best too um yeah it's there's a there's a lot a lot to it. It's pretty interesting and, um, a lot to learn and, uh, yeah. And this is all set up in the ocean. Yes. Well, you, you, um, 
they have their array of lines that they're set up like in a yard. Um, and then the seed is grown in a lab that it, and it's collected. Um, they get kelp seed from locally. It has to be within, has to be within three miles of your farm site. Um, so then, then they'll go out and set, set out the, um, array of lines, I guess, and it's all anchored in and then you go out and, um, so, so part of it is, you know, out of the water, obviously, and then most, it's all grown in the water and then the harvesting time is in early summer. And how do you pick a location? Oh yeah. Okay. So you, um, I think Alaska's got like, the most coastline of out of any state, but it kind of, de- I think, depends on your situation. Maybe um, you have to pick a location that isn't, um, there aren't conflicts with subsistence or commercial fisheries, or it's not maybe a ex- big recreation site or, um, well, it, it kind of depends, I think, with, with recreation because different times a year, people are recreating in areas and um Versus in the winter time when it's mostly growing, uh, it might not be people might not be out there as much. But um, and then it can't interfere with um, obviously wildlife like certain areas you might not be able to put it because of herring um, or yeah. There's there's different different things to think about when you do it when you pick a site and also um, distance from town like you, you want to be able to access it fairly easily with where you're located, I think, because, um, you want to be able to check your farm, mm-hmm. um, on the reg- regular, because during, if there's been storms or like, um, basically you want to go check it because there could be debris in your farm or like things get tangled or, you know, all, all those certain things that you deal with when, um, you're out on the water, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, it reminds me a lot of um, crab pots. Um, when I was younger, I would go out with my dad and we'd drop crab pots and we would have to make sure that they're not too close together because, you know, the ropes could get tangled and then you you lose you lose your crab. And it, it reminds me for some reason I'm just keep, keep getting brought back to that. And maybe it's because I'm thinking of like these vines, you know, in the ocean that are just kind mm-hmm. of like suspended there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is similar. I mean, like I think when you're um, putting something in the ocean, that's supposed to like stay there and not be like swept away. You want, um, yeah, there's a lot to think about and this, and also for in- interfering with other, other things in the ocean. Is there something that the longer that you do this, you know, you wouldn't have thought of that would be an issue? Well, we're pretty, we're pretty new. I think, um, um, things I haven't thought of. I mean, oh my, I don't know. There's constantly new things to think about. I even, (laughs) so I got to seed last fall with um, a local farm here and then I just, help them seed for the last, I think their last day yesterday. Um, and even from in one year, the way their seed, their seeding setup is a little bit different and it's definitely like easier in many ways. Um, but then I imagine, I, I mean, I wasn't there every day seeding. I think they had challenges with this new setup, but like, um, it sounds like each year they're always tweaking something. Um, and because there's, it's a very new, at least for Alaska and, um, in the U S I think too, um, kelp, the kelp industry. Uh, I think that you're kind of just in some ways, not, not reinventing the wheel. You're like, they're inventing the wheel because, um, yeah, they're figuring out what works for them and kind of, uh, tweaking things on the fly. And, And I kind of imagine even, there are like some standards obviously to the industry, but I also think for each farm site, there's unique, um, you know, you might have a wind direction that is very prevalent where your site is. And mm-hmm. and in one direction it's, you know, it's um, protected or maybe the current is certain, um, affects your site a certain way or, um, yeah, there's all little things I think that are going to be unique to each farm site that you'll have to, 
tweak and adapt to. Are you looking toward any companies or countries as understanding or inspiration? Yeah, there. So, well, there's still so much to learn, but there are. Um, I guess one of the one of our biggest resources are just the local farms here already. Like they're um, and they're super supportive. They want to see us succeed and and other farmers too. Um, but there's some pretty cool stuff going on in other places. Um, the Faro, Faroe Islands, um, they, they're doing some farming over there. Uh, they might have another farm too, a farm site too, I can't quite remember, but, um, I believe the company's Ocean Rainforest, I just learned about them, and they're doing some, some really cool stuff. I think they're mostly selling their, um, kelp at, for animal feed, um, but, yeah, I'd like to, um, look into them more, but, um, really that my best our best resources we're looking to for um like design and like what you know what works and what doesn't is probably the ones locally here um mm-hmm. but certainly there are things to learn from other countries as well like some of the bigger we can look into some of the bigger producing countries that already have like a pretty established um system and market like i think china is one of the biggest ones indonesia the philippines um i mean there's there's a lot to learn and look into yeah so certainly i'll just have to continue doing research and um yeah seeing what's out there you know something i keep thinking about is that with something like this that's so new and standard operating procedures are are brand new and being currently innovated. Do you have any stories or maybe a situation that's maybe emblematic of this, this brand new endeavor that kind of encapsulates where you are right now in it? Hmm. I mean, we're, we are still, um, we're still in the process of like getting through the public comment period so we're like we're very new we we um a lot of the stories we have heard about or learned about were like uh, maybe through the other current farmers um but i don't know i feel like that's a hot like i don't know why that's no that's okay i tricky question you know i think um, i think that that in and of itself might be a testament to to how new this all is and i wonder maybe if a if a more appropriate question would be, you know, you and a couple other people are in the process of starting this business. And I'm sure you have thought of, um, you have to think of worst case scenarios Mm -hmm. and how you have to overcome those. Yes. What do those look like? Oh, okay. That's a good way to put it. Um, Worst case scenarios probably are like, somebody running like a, a vessel running over your um, kelp lines, your grow lines or f- running over your farm site. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that has happened to a local farmer here, um, even though it's on the navigation charts now and stuff, but obviously accidents happen. You just, you try to do your best to prevent everything that you can think of, but you know, you can still have things happen that are unideal. Um, I think there was a company, this one in the Southeast that had a bunch, had like, I think this kind of really affected their, um, kelp season. They had herring row or herring deposit their row, like all over their farm, which was good for the herring, I suppose, because, um, it was a habitat that they felt safe enough to like, uh, deposit their eggs or their row, but it wasn't very good for the farmers. So I think at that point they can't they can't farm it. They can't like harvest it. It affects their harvest. So, um, yeah, I think there's worst case scenarios like like that are definitely something we're thinking about. Or lost gear, like um, making sure that your anchorage for um, your lines or your farm is is correct, um, and that will be fairly unique to, I think, where your farm site is. So, um, understanding how that works, um, mm-hmm. anything on the, in the water that's, 
with commercial fishing or I would say, you know, farming, um, you're, there's always a possibility of gear of losing your gear, but I mean, that's something you're doing your best to prevent. And, um, yeah, every time you're on the water, you could, there's a possibility of losing something. So we're just, yeah, making sure our design is going to prevent that as much as possible. And we'll see how much this benefits, but we do have like some really, um, really talented divers in our, um, well, friends and in our family, so are experienced, they're very experienced. So I think that could help in some ways if there's any need to like check something out on the, on the bottom. Um, our site isn't, I think too deep. Um, at least the little, the little bay we're going to be in, but, um, yeah, so that, that might be to our benefit for, um, checking stuff out, but, but we'll see. see how it goes what's really interesting about this kind of farming to me is that it's being done in an uncontrolled environment you know it is um it is there among all of the elements just just allowing it to uh to fend for itself yeah yeah that is really cool so there's um you can't control really mother nature. So you, you just, um, have to be really observant to the environment that your farm site is on and, um, and then prepare for things in advance. Like maybe it's, um, making sure you're, um, like yesterday, uh, the guys who we helped seed with, um, was working on tightening some of his anchor lines to help sink the whole site a little more to prepare for a storm, I believe, because it's a lot, it's a bit windier today. And, um, mm-hmm. so I think that there can be more tangling, um, of the lines, which is a challenge to deal with. Um, if they're exposed to like more intense weather. Um, and I think by submerging them, that'll help prevent that a little more. Um, but Again, I'm not. Yeah, I'm, there's. I still have to l- learn more about that, and we'll see. We'll see how our site, um, how the different unique conditions to our the area we're doing it in, how that will affect things. Yeah, and I think that it being in an uncontrolled environment, you have to be ready to go at any moment. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, we, yeah, being like checking it after storms obviously as long as it's like safe but I do coming from a commercial fishing family like you know we're not like the deadliest catch or anything like that but but um (laughs) we are familiar with like being on the water in challenging conditions so I think that um you're typically out there in like a smaller skiff well um at least when we're like seating and and I think also when they put out, set the gear, but so obviously we'd want to make sure the conditions were safe to even be out there. But, Mm -hmm. um, but we have the experience of um, the combined experience of people in our family and the other resources in town. I think that will be really helpful to like address things like that on the fly. Like that, you know, any job you have on the water, you have to, it's such a dynamic environment that you just like you're used to like tweaking things on the fly, like something you learn over time. I mean, some people are naturally like good at it, but when you have people that have been doing in that environment, like their entire life, like it's like second nature. Um, so I'm really, um, I feel really confident in like the group we have going in. Like, I think there's a lot of experience and, um, well, we're not necessarily experienced kelp farmers. I think we're very experienced with um, the ocean environment. So we'll just, yeah, we'll learn from the new challenges that come and then use like what we've learned from past challenges too. And how beneficial do you think it is to have that commercial fishing background? I think it's really beneficial because you are, um, you already, well, I'm not the one running the vessel. My, my older brother is and um and my younger brother Mm -hmm. uh, who will also be involved um but 
yeah, they already know how to run the vessel. And then even having just, as far as an expense goes, like already having access to some um, vessels on the water. Like, I think comparatively to a farm site on land, like it's a, it's a cheaper type of farm to set up. However, I think as far as like um, a, um, a boat or any sort of whatever you're using to set your lawn, set your gear and harvest it, um, if you already have access to s- some stuff like that or you already own it, that would be really beneficial because that's obviously going to be a big expense. And yeah, I think that it is a big benefit because a lot of people who've grown up commercial fishing or people who are running commercial fishing vessels, they're like, they are a jack of all, a jack or jail of all trades. You know, they're like, they, they often know how to weld and mend nets and, you know, understand how the best knots for certain, um, certain situations. So I don't know, there's all, all sorts of stuff that, um, I think it's beneficial to have that background, but I don't think it, I don't think that, um, that necessarily should shy people away from looking into kelp farming because because if you tap into your community, there are so many people, and you're willing to learn, there are so many people that would want to help you mm-hmm. if you don't have maybe that background or maybe family members or partners that have that background because there's just so many resources in uh, Alaskan communities, I think, that would, and wonderful people that would help you or help any um, potential farmer, kelp farmer. Mm-hmm. And this next question is to kind of get you out of you know your your current mindset this mindset of of you know knowing that community and being from that community so i wonder if you thought about coming into this kelp farming situation without all of the skills and resources you've accumulated over the years so what if you had just moved to kodiak what kind of obstacles do you think you'd encounter just getting to know know people um and maybe getting people to trust in in this new venture, this new industry or growing industry. It's obviously it's been kelp products have been around for a long time, but as far as kelp farming in Alaska, it's pretty novel. So, um, yeah, I think just meeting, um, trying to go out and become friends with those people who could be great resources because I think this is not something you can do alone. Like I think you are more likely to fail if you think this is like a solo, like you can do it independently. I think that it's very helpful to have friends in your community that can help with all, you know, all the different parts of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I think just becoming friends, maybe it's, (laughs) maybe it's walking the docks (laughs) or maybe it's like offering to, you know, doing some trade for work or something like that. I, I think that there, you just have to, get to know your community and um, see what see what's out there. And also contacting people through the Alaska Sea Grant who helped with um, the kelp farming class. Like, if you look into it, there are so many resources around um, that you, you can just reach out to if you're interested and don't have that, that background. Because I think more farmers is going to help, I think can help everybody because it, diversif- it can diversify our... Um, these um, coastal communities that maybe are heavily reliant on like fishing um, because it's another industry that could be economically beneficial. And then, um, yeah, I, uh, I can keep going on a ramble here, but yeah, but yeah, keep going. I I like rambling. You like the the rambles? Um, (laughs) I do. I appreciate them. Yeah. uh, I, I don't actually know of too many, um, like I was saying here, everybody, everybody's really connected to the ocean in some way or the fishing community in some way. So I feel like you naturally just by living here, have some of those resources around to tap into, but somebody new, um, I think as long as you're a nice person, like most, most people are, will, would be willing to help you if you're, if you're not just like assuming, assuming everybody help would help you like, mm-hmm if you're willing to maybe give something in return or, um, yeah, I I also think 
a lot of Alaskan smaller communities in Alaska really value people who um who will give back to that community who don't just come come and like fish and leave or their only stake is like you know kind of taking the resources there like if you're there and you really want to establish yourself in the community as somebody who's like supports the community and um yeah I don't I know that sometimes newcomers can can maybe feel like they're I don't know what the word is like maybe it's not they're unwelcomed occasionally I I know that's not the case for every community but I think sometimes that can happen and in rural communities of Alaska it's like often harsher conditions and um, maybe not it's way different than living in the city so Mm -hmm. um, maybe some newcomers there's like a people don't stay very long so I I think if you show that you have you care and you have a stake in like you're you want to see the community succeed by help by uh whatever enterprise you're trying to do there like i don't know i'm, I'm trying to think of other industries like you know when out if a, somebody who's not from alaska or the community comes in and kind of doesn't seem like they're trying to uh really give back maybe they're just coming for the job and then leave and it kind of feels like like it's not very helpful. Like, oh, you don't really care about our, our community. You just care about making money or something. So I, maybe if a newcomer comes in and and shows that they, they actually want to do um, help and in your community versus just, like, take. Um, yeah, I feel like I've said community, like, 20 times, 50 times. But yeah, <laughs> it is a, great, though. Yeah, it is a really important thing with them. Um, small towns and I guess big cities too but You know, I think that there's something really special about growing up so near the ocean. I'm not sure how much traveling you've done outside of Kodiak, but what do you think makes Kodiak different or special from other places? Hmm. I have done a little bit of um a little bit of traveling outside of um Kodiak and Alaska. Hmm. I think Kodiak is unique. It's hard. I th- feel like there's a lot. A lot of Alaska is unique in this way, um, in that it's it's not hard to go out into the wilderness and be like um, have it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of opportunities to just be the only one on a trail or a beach or um, or things like things of that nature. Um, I think what's unique about Kodiak is that it's a challenge to can be quite a challenge to get off the island so um so you when you're preparing to leave or come back you really have or come here if it's for some like big event you really have to think about um take weather into condition in or sorry into your um travel arrangements like um because often we can yeah just crappy weather can really stop you from getting off so I think it can make you more really appreciative of visiting other places and then also really appreciative of making it home Mm -hmm. like like there are tons of flight cancellations um because of wind um you know like super extreme fog or like like we had um ash canceling flights recently in the last like month because there was just you know it would cause challenges with the um with the airplane. Mm-hmm. Um, 
every place has some sort of challenge that is unique to it. But I think here, maybe it's just like the cold, <laughs> the cold and the wind, <laughs> and you just really appreciate the sun when it's there. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, being a small place, you know, everybody's connected somehow. And I feel like there's a lot of support if something if it's needed, like if a, f a family member is sick or like had a, or um, someone in the community had a bad accident or like, um, yeah, I don't know. There's all sorts of little things like that that make it special. And um, there's only one high school. There's a couple of elementary schools, but there's only one, one high school unless you just, people decide to like go online or like um, homeschool. So you kind of, if you live here your whole life, you're, like, going to school with the same group, like, from kindergarten to your senior year. So, like, mm -hmm. yeah, you just know, know those people become really familiar in your life and even their families. It's hard to go anywhere without seeing somebody you know. <laughs> um, similar things to other small towns, I, I would say. And I also think that it it does something to you as a person when you're at the mercy of the elements, you know, you're at the mercy of nature. Yeah. I think people in some ways people, because there are challenges of like traveling outside of here. Mm -hmm. um, I think sometimes people are a little more patient with like, or accepting of certain things you can't control um, because we can't control the weather. So we kind of just, um, go on, you know, just continue on, even though it's crappy out or, um, you know, you can't let, oh, your flight's delayed, like that stinks, but, um, but that's kind of just, and, and that's just so common. Like, I don't know anybody who hasn't had multiple flight cancellations or flight delays. Like you're sitting at our, like, just because of weather, like that is just so common. I, I don't know if other, probably like in other world places that that is common in Alaska, but um, mm -hmm. I don't know if many places in the lower 48 would have that because probably they would, they could drive if they can fly or um, I guess you could also take the boat too, but a uh, boat to the mainland. Yeah. I think that in so many situations in cities, there's, there's alternatives, you know, if you can't make it out, at that airport, you know, you can drive to this airport or maybe this airline is going. Um, whereas it sounds like what you're talking about is, you know, kind of let it be. And you can only do what you can do in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. We only have, well, there are some small plane um, businesses that so I think maybe, I don't know which one, but one of them I think will fly, um, can take a few more than a couple passengers over to the mainland on a smaller plane, but like as far as those commercial jets, you know, we have only one company that flies here. So that is kind of limiting, but um, I feel like there are definitely more special things about living here than just like how kind of limited we are in getting out, out in and off the island or on and off. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, there's a lot of special places in Alaska. I think just because it's harsh and a little bit harsh and a little bit more wild, that, yeah, that adds challenges and uniqueness to to each place. I, I haven't even been to, like, as many places I want to visit in Alaska. Like, there's so many cool remote areas that are so challenging to get to, or, like, you really have to go out of your way to get there. Um Kodiak is maybe easier than some places to get to. <laughs> Do you think all of that makes people closer to nature? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's kind of um, impossible not not to. Um, you're just you have to deal with the the elements. Um, you know the the rain, the ice, the wind, um, the bears. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's like hard not to be, um, involved with nature some way or, uh, 
have it be some part of your life. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think you can live here and not have that be part of your life. Yeah, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back to kelp farming. What do we know about the benefits of kelp or seaweed? Yeah. Um, well, it, it can create a habitat for, um, for creatures. Obviously, if you're harvesting it, it's like a temporary um, habitat. But um, yeah, like there's that incident I was talking about in the southeast where the herring, the herring deposited their row all over this farm. So that that was kind of um, helpful for the helpful for the herring. Yeah. Um, and it it also it can you know help collect carbon through you know being a plant an aquatic plant. It photosynthesizes, so it uses carbon as a as like part of that process. So um, it is considered a carbon sink. Um, I get. So that is also helpful and um, it can be used, a lot of people use it as a fertilizer, which is, um, I think, really helpful because you're not, if you can get it locally, that's a great thing. You're not like having to buy something from the store or, uh, I mean, there's a, so there's a lot of research going into the different, um, different ways kelp can be helpful. Like there, I think. They've looked into biofuel and bioplastics, and then also um, as far as it, like animal feed, it's supposed to help reduce emissions from livestock. Like by putting it in their feed, they're not going to be producing as much methane. I'm not exactly sure like the science behind that part, but that's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how in the future how much how widespread that will be, or like, or actually how widespread that is now. I'm not exactly sure. Um, but I do know that it is thought about for animal feed to reduce their methane emissions. Mm-hmm. Those cow farts, <laughs> as they say. Um, I don't know. There's, uh, I think that there's more than we can even think of. Like it's with new people getting into it, we'll um, we'll find more benefits than we can we can even think of. And I was reading that there are different types of seaweed. What are those different types of seaweed and what are they used for? Yes, there are many different types of seaweed. I think in Alaska there are over 500 kind species. Oh, wow. Um and I and there's, you know, there's red, brown and green seaweeds and there's just they are um they look very different. They um grow kind of differently. As far as, like, the stuff that's farmed, I'm not familiar with every single type that is farmed, but, like, um, common, two really common ones grown um, are ribbon and sugar kelp. And I don't know, some people have, I think, have messed around with um, bull kelp. I'm not sure how much success that has had, but, I I mean, I'll have to look into that more. But ribbon and sugar kelp are really common, and um, at least locally, um, and right now I know that the, the local growers here have used, that has been, um, I think mostly used in food. Yeah, I guess locally, I just know that a lot of the stuff is used in food, like maybe, um, a seasoning on popcorn or pastas and like, um, those like seaweed salad stuff. Um, but yeah, that's, that's. What do I know about the local things? I don't, um, I know there's a company on the East coast. I think, I think it's called green wave. That is, um, I'm not sure the kind that they're growing, but I think that they are some of the farmers there are, they're, they're people like doing research with their, uh, product that they harvest to see, to see all the uses. Like it's, um, yeah, I, I know that most of this, a lot of the stuff here is for food but I'm sure there are more than I can even think of there's this really great book called um, seaweeds of Alaska and it's um, if anyone is interested in uh, seaweed ID like it's just it's a super great resource it's broken up into the colors the different um, colors of seaweed 
And um, so, you know, if you see something that you want to ID, you go to that color and try to find the one that it, um, that it looks like. Um, and I, I find that found that really helpful fishing this summer. We had some different seaweeds come up on the boat, so I was trying to, or come up with the net. So I was trying to just ID the different kinds, and it's just, it's pretty fun and also cha- <laughs> challenging. Mm-hmm. And what kind of seaweed are you planning on farming? Ribbon and sugar kelp. For what reason? Um, that's what is already uh, been successfully grown in um, in Kodiak, and that they've like the um, lab here that grows the seed has already um, is really experienced in that, and it's kind of um, I think it's easier than most. There's already um, markets for that. Um, it it's possible to look into other types of kelp, but right now that's our, that's what we're, um, our lease is going to be for those two types. Our plan is to, um, just bulk sell our kelp. We're not, we'll sell it to, um, a buyer processor and then what they do with it is kind of, um, up to them. So as far as what our kelp will be used for is it kind of depends on, um, who we sell it to. So, um, there are different different buyers or people interested that were um, interested in the industry that we're looking into. But so as far as like exactly what will happen with ours, I'm not quite sure yet. So we'll, um, yeah, I think it just depends who, who we end up selling it to. Mm -hmm. And what does harvesting look like? I think there are a lot of different or there's different (laughs) methods to do it, but, um, Mm -hmm. and I haven't been there for a harvest yet. We haven't um, put any lines in the water or seeded anything. We we haven't. We're almost to the point where we'll have our lease, but we still have a little little bit of time before that. But um, mm-hmm. I believe the harvesting usually involves putting it in totes, collecting it off the lines, like cut, cutting it off of, and then um, bringing it to your processor buyer. And then they'll, depending on what they want to do with it, they'll have different ways of you know, processing it. So, um, yeah, we'll have, we'll have to see what our buyers want to do and even how much you collect too, like how much they can take at one time. I'm sure we'll find that out as well. Yeah. This is sounding a lot like commercial fishing, um, in a lot of ways in that, you know, you are collecting this kelp and then you're bringing it to the processors and they're doing with it what they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think, um, different farmers might want to go more like go a route where they can, they'll process it themselves or with their own company. If maybe they are going like a food route, kind of like what, um, barnacle seafood is doing, mm-hmm. but a lot of farmers, I think just will sell it to the processor and then, um, and then from there, they'll distribute it to more buyers or maybe they ha- they'll process it into a format that um, can be just distributed to stores or something. So, yeah, it is similar, really similar to the um, fishing industry in that way or the commercial fishing industry. But what is, I think, a key difference is that we're, um, we're harvesting something that is um, not wild. Like, it's wild seed, kelp that is grown wild. We take seed from kelp that is grown in the wild, but, but that is um, then grown in the lab. And then we're all the little baby kelps we'll put out onto our um, grow lines and grow that in our farm. So we're not, we won't be taking anything. What we harvest will be grown on a farm, not from the wild, not necessarily affecting. We're not taking large chunks of um, seaweed or kelp from wild sources. So I think that's really cool because um, we can tap into this resource that, grows naturally here mm-hmm. was already growing here but we're not affecting the natural kelp beds around we're not taking away from those permanent areas so i think that's really cool um i think that we'll learn more about our um learn more about wild kelp beds i think through this farming process um but i that's what's really cool to me is we're not we're not taking large chunks from the wild like we're just we are going to be growing it sustainably 
because it's not going to be affecting the other beds or the beds that are naturally there. So for this next question, I'm I'm going to ask you to hypothesize a little bit. Do you think kelp will continue to be processed in Alaska or is this an industry that will outgrow Alaska? You know, I wonder, I think if it, I think it would make sense to keep the processing local because it's kind of, it's a perishable item. Um, but I imagine it probably depends on how the market goes, like how much processing needs to be done locally. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like similar with the fishing industry, like is it beneficial to keep the salmon whole or, you know, they're, they're usually processing it into fillets and then flash, flash freezing and shipping it that way. But, um, because that makes the most sense. So I think, um, because it's a perishable, um, product, I think that they will be doing a bit of processing or and stabilizing locally before it gets distributed. Um, and also I think it'd be really cool to, um, find more uses for it in Alaska. You know, even, um, there are a lot of people who already use it as like a fertilizer for their gardens, but if we can distribute that statewide more to communities that maybe like don't have access to it, maybe they have access to like animal manure as fertilizer, but not like seaweed. Mm -hmm. Um, that isn't there. We're not there yet, but, um, maybe in, in the future, uh, we could be. Well, that's why people like you exist, right? To be able to have these ideas so that one day they can come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. I would hope that other, um, all the uses for kelp that there are and currently and that will, um, the more uses that will there will be in the future, I hope that Alaska can benefit as like a, you know, a producer grower, but also benefit in all the things beyond that, like not just the um, growing part or the processing. I think because there are so many, it has so much potential. I think that we'll, we'll, maybe we can't even imagine what the future holds um, as we, as we continue to like learn more about it. And I think that that's a really exciting position to be in when you look at this thing that has so many possibilities. Yeah, that is. Um, I know that there are definitely some people who've already done a lot of groundwork um, in this industry, e- even in Alaska, like the kind of people who are the first ones to do it. Um, I know we're, if we are granted our lease, um, our farm lease, I think we'll be the seventh farm on the island. I don't know there are, there are other people interested beyond just us, but... Um, yeah, it's really fun. I think that's what's so exciting about it is it's so new and there are just so many positive things coming from this. It's just so super exciting to be part of it. Um, and I know that it's going to be really challenging too, but because it's so um, interesting and I don't know, this idea of farming on the water is like really, it's really cool to me to think think about. So I'm, yeah, I'm just really excited to be a part of it and to, yeah, grow this kelp community here kelp community i like that yeah certainly that's what it that's what it feels like environmentally what do you think kelp farming could mean for kodiak and alaska in general i think because kelp is um as i was mentioning earlier because kelp is a is a plant it photosynthesizes and is going to be using collecting carbon to grow um you know that in theory is like taking some carbon out of that um out of the water out of so i suppose it it, it you know is a carbon sink it's environmentally that is like could potentially be um reducing greenhouse gases and and then um creating habitat for creatures um and there was also there's also uh talk of kelp farms kind of um help being like a buffer for storms not i don't know necessarily um i haven't heard that necessarily for kodiak but for like down 
down south, maybe in California, they were talking about that, like how it could be, or actually, maybe even on the East Coast too, basically how having some kelp farms along your coast can um, be a buffer for storms coming in, so it's potentially less destruction along your coast. Hmm. Um, okay. How, how much buffer that is compared to like how big a biggest storm you have like maybe huge storms it's not going to make a big difference and i don't know how many i don't know exactly how large of what the size of the farms would need to be but that was i think they were talking about that in the class that somebody mentioned that and i thought that was really interesting so i know that um with climate change that's such a a a buzzword but um with with a changing climate i know that there's they talk about storms being more extreme and uh, or weather weather patterns being like different and potentially with more extreme. So maybe in the future we'll see kelp farms helping being like little buffers for um, coastal communities or like certain areas. I think that's a really interesting idea. I don't really know exactly how that would all work as far as, as I said, farm size and like maybe where, um, how, how, um, how much of a difference it would make for like a huge storm. But, uh, Mm -hmm. so I guess that, that could be, um, how it can affect environmentally, uh, impact or affect the community here or Alaska. Do you think climate change is influencing kelp farming in any way? I think that, uh, well, of course, of course, a changing climate effect can affect like all sorts of plants and animals in, in different ways. So I, it probably depends on where your kelp is growing. Like maybe, maybe in the future, um, certain seaweeds will grow easier in um, certain parts of Alaska than they did before. Like, mm-hmm. um, so there's that. I don't, I don't exactly know all the um, thresholds for each different type of kelp exactly. Um, and, and as the climate changes, how, how those kelps will withstand those different, um, if, if their thresholds will change or if maybe they won't be able to even grow anymore. Um, it's hard to say. I do, I do know that this is not necessarily with kelp, but I was talking to a friend about with oyster growing like that. Um, it was, um, like oysters, uh, are affect well I guess everything can be temp- affected by temperature but they won't um they won't create their spat they're like um the way they reproduce is with some oyster spat um I need to learn more about this but it was pretty interesting that um because it's cold up here they won't maybe do that like naturally and so that's um kind of how you can control it up in these colder environments versus um maybe where the waters are warmer. Um, so maybe that will change too with oyster, oyster farming, which um, has gone hand in hand with kelp farming in some areas. So something that I just thought of is as climate change continues to affect the farming of agriculture, you know, what we, what we traditionally understand as farming, I wonder where seaweed farming could maybe patch some of those holes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there is ton- there's a lot of um, opportunity to patch some of those holes. I know that um, you're not taking up space that people typically live on, like where, mm-hmm. fa- you know, land-based farms would, you know, there might be competition of different land uses, I guess, for the spot a farm would be versus versus the ocean you know, it's just, you no. Know, well, I guess people can live on a boat, but typically, you know, where your farm site is, people aren't like living on that in the water there. So that, um, um, that's really helpful. But, um, so I guess when, when land farm or farms on the land are dealing with like, um, soil loss or like depletion of nutrients in soils and, um, all sorts of stuff like that. The aquatic farms don't necessarily have that um, challenge. Not saying that there aren't other challenges that we'll face on the water versus land, but, um, you know, essentially all the nutrients to grow your farm 
and the water are it's there so mm -hmm. uh we don't have to like tap into synthetic fertilizers or anything like that um and the other thing that is pretty interesting is kelp this idea of kelp being like um in like a in a lot of different food sources kind of in the way that soy is and just being as yeah as widely used as that uh plant um i think it was green wave was talking about that the wanting to make kelp as big as soy and and it can be potentially in a um more sustainable way because you're not depleting soils for this or um yeah i don't know there's a whole ra rabbit hole to go down i feel like talking about that stuff but um yeah yeah like we were talking about earlier there is so much potential that we don't even know about yet yes yeah i know um and i think um noah is pretty behind um this industry because it's just yeah so much potential so many endless opportunities and i think we're just starting to understand how much potential it has mm -hmm. earlier you mentioned that there are six other seaweed farms in kodiak do you feel like what you're doing is different or is this still such a new thing that there's room for everyone? I think there's room for everyone um, because there's still a lot of other spaces that could be possible farm sites. Um, you just got to like do your research and, and then, and you, you know, contact fish and game and, and maybe possibly the people who already have farms to see if that site makes sense. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's room for everybody and, and more, I think. Considering that future of possibilities we've been talking about, what kinds of goals do you have? Well, I, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily came up with this myself. I just really, I think it's a really great idea is, um, if, if, um, another farmer was talking about that, like, you know, they they really want new farmers, kelp farmers to succeed and, um, to make Kodiak maybe like a kelp hub. And, um, so then more, more people can benefit from it. Like, especially finan financially and, and prop, you know, in, in other ways, in other ways too, I suppose. And then, uh, maybe that could expand as Alaska being a, a hub for kelp. Um, but I, I feel like that would be a, a goal of mine is to, um, because it's so so new, we can create an industry here where we all support each other and look out for each other. Um, I'd, it'd be nice if it wasn't like so cutthroat, like kind of the fishing industry is, um, because all the the fishing industry definitely helps each other, like the um, fishermen to fishermen, and um, but it is pretty can be very cutthroat. So I think um, I hope the kelp industry as it grows isn't necessarily like that and we can be a community that helps each other and um a place that maybe people look to as um when you think of kelp you think of kodiak or you think of alaska or, or farming kelp farming you think of us that would be a i think that that would be a goal like maybe a way to do it right if we can do it in a way that um is managed correctly and um we're going about things the right way Mm -hmm. Well, Chloe, that does it for my questions. You know, I really didn't know anything about kelp farming before this conversation. So this has been really educational for me. Good, good. I, um, it's, uh, fun to talk about. And I, you know, even just chatting with you, I realized like there's still so much I, I need to learn about and, um, yeah, and I, I'm excited to to do that. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, if you if anyone listening is interested in kelp farming, um, interested in pursuing kelp farming or current kelp farms, um, reach out. The opportunities are there, and there's a lot of great people who are willing to help help you. So, um, to learn more about it or to pursue it yourself.
For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. 